And I thought it was a very appropriate hymn. Uh, Our rest remains for the weary. And on my heart I had to look into the, the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 and a bit of chapter 4. So let's all turn to Hebrews chapter 3 with the Lord's help. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakes Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all this house as a servant for a testimony of those things which are to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, therefore, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, which is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all came out of Egypt but uh, by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them, or that but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. This epistle was written by someone, doesn't say in the beginning, as it normally does with the introductions, such as with the introductions of the epistles of of the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's speculation as to who could have written this. Some of it seemed characteristic of the Apostle Paul, but the fact that he never had an introduction doesn't make it um, uh, definite who it was. Nevertheless, we do believe it was written by the Holy Spirit as he inspired the author to do so. The backdrop to the book of Hebrews, as mentioned in times past, was it was written to Christian Hebrew believers. There is no question in my mind and in the minds of many 
He's speaking of believers. He says in the first verse of chapter 3, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. This was only, could be, the believers in whether they were dispersed throughout Israel or other parts of, of Asia and maybe Europe, but it was written to Christian Jewish believers. However, it seems that these Christian believers that were Jewish, it seems like they were having a hard time. They were having a hard time in being fully committed to the path that they had embarked on after believing in Jesus Christ. The, the writer goes all the way from creation all the way into the early servants of Christ, of, of God, being Moses, Joshua, and then Christ. And as some of these Jewish believers wanted to go back, if you will, into Judaism, it seems, uh, many stern warnings were given to these particular believers. And he gives a parallel, a parallel between what happened in the wilderness and what's happening at this point in time with the believers in the regions. And I was, I was amazed of how many therefores and wherefores are contained in the first four chapters. I just counted this morning, I was going through and I said, wherefore, therefore, wherefore, wherefore, therefore, therefore, this is one long argument, one long dissertation that has logical flow. Because of this, therefore, and because of this, therefore, and you've got to go back to see what it was that he was talking about. It was one long argument about the, the superiority of Jesus Christ, about the steadfastness of God in his word, about God's justice, about God's grace, about God's mercy, about God's holiness. And you can go on into the end of, towards the end of the book when he talks about the sanctuary and the only uh, services and ministries in the sanctuary about the blood of Christ and how it would eventually come as prophesied as a foreshadow in all the, the ministry of the priests in the tabernacle and in the temple. But it's full of warnings. How many times will you see if you go back to chapter 2? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Pay attention earnestly to what has been said, what has been done for us. And the warnings continue into chapter uh, 3, 4, 6, 10 of God's grace and yet God's justice and holiness. In chapters 3 and 4, the theme, as I mentioned, if you read through a book or a passage in the Bible, the theme will be lying in how repetitious a particular word or phrase is. And in chapter 3 and 4, it talks about the rest. 
the rest for God's people. In the beginning, in the first chapter, it talks about God's creation, how God had created the world through Christ. Christ was the executor of the plan. God was the, the architect of the plan. And God made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. God found it good to rest on the seventh day, the Sabbath. That's what Sabbath means. It's the rest. It's also synonymous with seven. And from the very beginning, when man fell, and man came to a point where he, he, he became so corrupt that God said, I'm going to put an end to sin, I'm going to send a flood, and I'm going to destroy the world. He appointed a man by the name of Noah to build an ark. For 120 years, the scripture tells us, he built an ark, but he was a preacher of righteousness. He was preaching the word of God even, you know, three, four thousand years, five thousand years ago. And God used him, and it so happened the word Noah actually means rest. God was going to bring rest to these people that was corrupted and sinful, that it reached the heavens, and yet Noah couldn't do it. Right after the landing on Ararat and the people being multiplied all over again, sin came back into the world because it was in man. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. And man will not find rest in this world. That's the whole point here. Unless you find it in God, you won't find it anywhere else. And these Jewish believers were looking for rest. When they came out of Egypt, when they were, had escaped through the exodus from Egypt and Moses took them by the mighty hand of God out of Egypt, they were looking for a land where they could rest. Where they could have peace, where they could have freedom from their enemies. But guess what? Guess what came with them out of Egypt? Flesh and blood came with them. Someone once said before to me, he says, um, you know, you may escape to this country, that's, to that country, running away from your problems, but guess what? Guess who's waiting for you on the other side on the shore? The devil. And you will take problems with you because you are made of flesh and I am made of flesh. And the, the beachhead for sin is our flesh and where Satan comes in and invades and infiltrates us and works without desires and, 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 and cravings and, and is, is the, the sower of, of, the, the, of that bad seed, if you will. We will not have rest until we have it in Christ. Noah didn't bring rest. Moses didn't bring rest. Jesus, Joshua that is, it calls him Jesus in the book of Hebrews. Jesus or Joshua didn't give them rest, although he took them into the promised land. It wasn't the kind of rest that God is talking about in chapter 3 and 4 of Hebrews. This was not this eternal, blissful, divine rest that he was talking about. 
The rest that he was talking about was the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the, he's the one that no one can compare to. Although they always refer to their father Moses, or to their father Abraham, or to whoever the, the great prophets were of his time, yet no one can compare to the uncomparable Jesus Christ. And perhaps because some of these believers weren't getting their rest as the way they understood it. They weren't getting what they expected it to be like when someone becomes a Christian. If God is on my side, who can be against me? But they come across all these problems, all these difficulties, all these burdens, all these illnesses, all these troubles. And so they come to the conclusion, I don't think I'm on the right path. And guess what happens? Well, if God hasn't solved this for me, I better take this into my own hands. Let me solve it. Because God's not answering me. What did they say in, in uh, the book of Exodus? If you read, if you read the, through Hebrews 3, you will see that it's speaking about the events that happened in Exodus. And it was captured in Psalm 95. The provocation in the wilderness. What happened in Exodus 17? And the people thirsted for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is it that thou hast brought up us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord and said, What shall I do unto this people? They be ready to stone me. They're deliverer. They're ready to stone the deliverer. Because they didn't get their water on time. They said, you may as well have kept us back in Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, Go now therefore to the people, and take with thee elders of Israel, and they ride with thee. Wherever thou smotest the river, take thy in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he, he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord God, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Do we become like that sometimes when things don't go quite the way we would like it to go? When we said, I've tried this and I've tried that, I prayed so much to God and it didn't happen. And then we say, is God with me or not? That was the problem. When they came across, that, by the way, that was, I think, their first major challenge. After crossing the Red Sea, the waters of Meribah, that was the first major challenge. 
or close to the first, it was very short into their journey into the wilderness. They forgot the taskmasters in Egypt. They forgot the cruelty of Pharaoh. They forgot how they tried to kill their babies at two years and under, the male children. Now, because they are thirsty, now God's not with us. And they began to take things into their own hands. Three chapters later, they've got a, pretty close to it, they've got a, a, a golden calf. Moses is up in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, getting the law from God, going to bring it down, and they're rising up to play, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10. Sitting down to eat and drink and rising up to play. They weren't playing basketball. And God says to Moses, you better get down there. These people are imagining, thinking up really wicked things. Moses comes down, he sees them, basically with this idol that they had built, and he takes the tablets and smashes them down in his anger. They started complaining. They started murmuring. And they murmured all the way through the wilderness to the point God says, because you didn't believe me, and when they didn't believe that God had provided for them Canaan, he said, for every year... For every, for every day that you are supposed to be traveling, you'll be traveling for a year. And that's why he quotes in Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 and 4, for 40 years you provoked me in the wilderness. In Psalm 95, it talks about the same scriptures that's given in Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the... Meribah, that word in the Hebrew is Meribah, provocation, and the day in the t- temptation in the wilderness, Masa. This became symbolic of their journey, of their discontentment, of their lack of faith, of their distrust when things weren't going their way. We heard this morning about the believers in China. All the persecuted Christians, how they would love to worship with masks on if they had the freedom. Are there other things in our lives that we can use as excuses why we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that? Because it's too far, it's because it's too hot, because it's too cold because they can do it without me brothers and sisters do we realize that we need each other we need each other to worship as a corporate entity, as the body of Jesus Christ and he tells you why Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation where they provoked him. They provoked God. In the day of temptation in the wilderness. And you know, the analogy here is, of course, they are not necessarily in the wilderness of sin, capital S-I-N, but they're in the wilderness of, of this world which is full of sin. Where there are challenges, where this world is just draining us. If we follow it, this world is luring us. This world is calling us back. 
It's too tough. Don't go. Don't go that way. It's, must not be the right way because you've got difficulties. You've got hardships. But they don't know that God has given us these hardships to test us, to purify us, to strengthen us, and see how we function as a body. This is very serious matter when we have in the church people that are struggling but I don't want to get involved because it's too inconvenient or it's too hard or I've got other things to do. Would you, could you imagine that if everybody did something to help someone else how much lighter the load will be, how much the burden will be reduced. When Moses said and he was going to give up, he said, I'm, that's it, I've had enough. I want to die, God. I want to die. Or the time when he came to his father-in-law, Jethro. And Jethro said, Moses, you take too much upon yourself. Get 70, <coughs> 70 other elders other people that you can delegate this work to and let them divide up into tribes of numbers of 50 and, and share the load. And guess what? If I don't do my part, I make, my, I make the part on somebody else's shoulder heavier. <coughs> and you know what that will do for us? when we exercise the, the responsibilities and the gifts that God has given us, you know what that does for us? <coughs> it makes us stronger. When we don't do any exercise, it makes us weaker. When we take our responsibilities, we begin to know our brother and sister better. We know what their needs are. We know what to pray for. We know how to encourage them. And when we do that to them, they can do that to others. <coughs> and it multiplies. That's the whole meaning of the body. Every joint is fitly framed together. And the muscles don't work in isolation. They work in conjunction with other muscles and bones. And you can, you can carry more, you can do more, you can perform more, you can glorify God more. And then we don't have time. To think about the idle stuff. The stuff that <coughs> weakens the body. The useless stuff. It says here, you proved me, tempted me 40 years. I was grieved with that generation. You know, God has feelings. God has feelings. I was grieved. The Holy Spirit is grieved. When we sin, when we disobey, <coughs> excuse me, it's pretty dry up here. Um, the Holy Spirit is grieved. <coughs> and he calls it unbelief. Brethren, take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief 
in departing from the living God. They say, what's he, these are Christians. Why is he saying unbelief? He said that to the Jews coming out of, Exodus, out of Egypt in the Exodus. He said they were, they were unbelieving. It was unbelief. Does that mean they didn't believe that God exist, existed? He said, no. You saw me do these works for 40 years. You saw the pillar of <coughs> uh, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. You've, so, you've seen that. You saw the, the seas parted. You saw the miracles, the water coming from the rock. You saw the manna coming from, from the heavens, the quails that came down. I fed you. I gave you shoes that didn't wear out for 40 years. You saw it all. Does that mean they didn't believe in God? Oh no, they saw it. But unbelief here is synonymous with disobedience. They were disobedience. There was a second time when Moses was asked to bring water from the rock. And the first Corinthians <coughs> excuse me, first Corinthians chapter ten actually says there was a rock that followed them through the wilderness, and that rock was Christ. And there was a, the second time where they were complaining about what they used to have in the promised land, in, in the uh, old land in Egypt. Now that they come into the promised land, they're going to the promised land, they have nothing. They complained again in Numbers chapter 20 and there was no water for the congregation and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and the people chode, they chided Moses. <laughs> he told him in another place, told them, why are you chiding with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? I'm the messenger. What complaint do you have against me? Why do you tempt the Lord? They strove amongst and gathered amongst themselves and strove together. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that he had, we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought us into the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle die here? And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake to Moses and said, Take the rod, gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock and before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth it to them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregations and their beasts to drink. Not only the people, but all the cattle. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. He called the congregation rebels. Must we fetch water from the rock for you? <clears throat> Moses lifted up his hand with his rod and he smote the rock twice. <coughs> and the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank, and the beasts also. Now you would think that was a great thing that Moses did. 
He called them rebels. He smashed the rock twice in anger. And you would have thought that God said, Well done, good servant. What did God say? And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You're not coming into the promised land, Moses. You're not coming to the promised land, Aaron. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. At first glance, you would think that because of the disobedience of Moses, he didn't speak to the rock, but he hit the rock twice, that that was the reason, <coughs> the only reason, that he was disqualified from entering the the promised land. But I think there's more to it than that. Because when God gives gifts to his children, he does it unbegrudgingly. He, the James says he's the father of all good gifts. He's the father of lights. And giveth us, his children, gifts without upbraiding us, without telling us off, saying, well, here it is if you want it. They, Moses and Aaron, at least Moses had the rod, did not sanctify God because God willingly gave of the water to the children of Israel, even though they were rebellious, even though they were murmuring. He wanted to show them. He does care for them. He does have a heart for them. But number one, Moses didn't obey his law or his command to speak to the rock. And number two, he made it sound like the father was giving this reluctantly, begrudgingly, upbraiding them, telling them off. It's very, it's very hard for us to understand the heart of the Father. Moses didn't sanctify the name of God. Remember Exodus chapter 34 when he was looking for a sign from God? For him to lead the children into Israel, into Canaan back then. He wanted to see God. So God passed before him, hid Moses in the cleft of a rock. He says, verse 34, uh, chapter 34, verse 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy forever for thousands <coughs> forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and will by no means clear the guilty his first name that gave that came from his lips was he's merciful gracious forgiving sin 
He is compassionate. He does care for his people. How long was he long-suffering with Israel through the reign of the kings and the judges? In Romans, when, when the Apostle Paul is trying to give the people of the Christians the reason why the Jews weren't believing, why they weren't accepting Christ. And he gave the story of Pharaoh. And he gave the story of Esau and, and, and Jacob. And he said, what if God was willing with much long-suffering to withhold with, with his wrath. He gives people chance. He gives people opportunity. And he will not always just cut them off. Some, some he did. In certain situations he did. But who knows what went on before that with Uzzah when he touched the Ark of the Covenant, with Ananias and Sapphira when they, when they uh, lied to the Holy Spirit about how much they gave of, of their possessions in Acts chapter 5. But God is a God that is long-suffering, patient, forbearing. And yet, through all of this, when the Israelites witnessed this for 40 years, in the wilderness, it says there are some that would never enter into his rest. And when they see this and still reject God, it's, it's, like, it's like when Jesus in chapter 12 of Matthew, when he, made, when he cast out that devil, that, that man that had, was possessed with devils, and then they said to him, you have cast out this devil by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. That's when Jesus basically had enough. He said, I'm telling you, all manner of evil speaking, all manner of blaspheming against God and against Christ will be forgiven. But any blasphemy or evil speaking against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, not in this world nor in the world to come. Not in this age or in the age to come. God says, for 40 years, I've shown you, I've demonstrated my power, I've demonstrated my love, I've demonstrated my patience, I fed you until it's coming out of your nostrils. And yet there's some that rejected me. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? Believing doesn't mean that, believing not doesn't mean they never believed in his existence. But rather they never trusted what he said. It came too late. I'll take things into my own hands. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. In chapter 4, there are six therefores. I counted them this morning. Six therefores. Therefore, fear, lest the promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Verse 6, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein 
And they to whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. And he keeps going, therefore, therefore. This is a logical flow of reasoning. God is reasoning with his people. Come reason, come let us reason together. He's not unreasonable. But what he's telling us, how to deal with these situations, because we live in the wilderness today. We live in a, in a spiritual wilderness today. It's getting more and more confusing, more and more sinful, more and more barren. Void of God, the knowledge of God. What did he tell us to do? But exhort one another daily. Exhort one another daily. You know what that word exhort means? Exhort is not just who come from the pulpit and give you tell you what to do. That's not what it means. It means to encourage. It means to comfort. It means to counsel. My dear brother and sister, this is not a, a, a condescending speech that we give from the pulpits every week. This is an exhortation, an encouragement, a counseling that is coming down and, and, and speaks to us. It's not, I've got to be very careful here. Speaks to me too, especially me. We shouldn't be teachers so many because we will receive the greatest condemnation. Exhort one another daily. We're separated by a week of work and, and personal businesses and, and everything. Then we think we'll come back together on a Sunday and we'll be together at least for one hour. And then we bolt out the door. Do we come back? Do we, do we spend time with each other? And I'm guilty of that. Not enough. Not enough. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. When we're in a, if you will, a barren land, when we are in a difficult struggle that we're going through, where there doesn't seem to be any help coming, at least not the way I expect it to, then we start getting, hmm, how can I, how can I help myself? What can I do to make myself feel better? What can I do to, to now fulfill the immediate need I have? We had that discussion on Wednesday at CFG. My immediate need, what is it? What is it? If God's not giving it to me, I'll take it. And guess what? You do it. And then you feel bad because you know it wasn't right. You know that's not what God wanted for you, but it satisfied your immediate, immediate need. And we have what we, consult, what we consider need. Remember one thing. We have wants and we have needs. What are our needs? Our greatest need is spiritual vitality and health. Forgiveness. That's our greatest need. That's why Jesus in his prayer said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Our immediate needs. Of course we need daily sustenance and food. But that's not our primary, if I can put it that way, our primary need. Because when we grab it for ourselves and and we don't check our minds, we go with our emotions, we make the wrong decisions. Emotions are not supposed to be leaders. Emotions are supposed to be followers. When we know we've done something right, we should feel good about it. But we don't do something because we feel we need to do it. Because after we've done it, and we realize what we have done, then we know our emotions take a plummet because I did the wrong thing. That's what happened with Adam and Eve and happened with every single human being every time they sin. Emotions are not leaders, dear ones. Emotions should be followers. This, there's a hymn that says that that I forget the exact wording about we get good emotions from doing God's will. And what what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, there's only one that can do this for you. There's only one. Not Moses failed, Joshua failed, Noah failed, others failed, but We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And at the end of chapter 4, after the many warnings and about the talking about the, 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 the perfect rest that we will one day inherit, it says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may have obtained mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is that wonderful, mighty counselor of Isaiah. He is the one that is able to to exhort us, to give us the words of wisdom, to give us encouragement, to give us power, to provide for our every need if we are patient with him. He will provide for us. And he gives it in a way where he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He wants to give us, but he wants us to be patient, long-suffering, trust him. Not when we want it, but when he knows it's good for us. If you notice, any time Jesus came across a difficulty, a challenge, and he healed people, and he raised people from the dead, You could, you could see his humanness at the, at the burial place of Lazarus. He wept. 
When Jairus' daughter was sick, as a human, he touched her hand. He's a high priest that knows how we feel, the pains we go through, the, the temptations and the trial we go through, because he experienced every single one, yet he was without sin. So when he comes to us, he weeps. We may not hear him, but he knows our predicament. He knows how we feel. And he intercedes for us. And the Holy Spirit prays for us. What does it say in, and I'll finish up with this, in Hebrews 5. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that, what? Obey him. When was he in strong crying and tears? Two places. Gethsemane and Golgotha. When he cried out to God from the cross, and when he pleaded with the Father in the garden. He does care. He's the high priest that feels all of our pains, all of our sufferings. But he wants us to wait on him. And he will provide what we need, not what we want in the time that he knows we need it. May the Lord bless the word to him be the glory evermore. A brother, please find him. I'd just like to, in closing, read a couple more verses from the song that we have sung, 35 from the Zion's Harp. Verse 4 says, Oh, arouse our feeble powers from things earthly set them free that our plans and all our efforts may be hallowed, Lord, to thee. Far from fear of men and worry, far above mere reason's scope, past all dread of scorn and suffering, lift us by our blessed hope. Let not those thou hast purchased be the servants here of men, for indeed the great atonement cleansed us from every sin pure and free of every blemish and made more and more like thee grace for grace from thee receiving truly blessed will we be and the last verse love O draw us in thy dying give us paradise with thee all that cannot heaven inherit with thee crucified let be come then O Lord O do not tarry let us now the time redeem, for when our freedom there is dawning, we shall be as those who dream. May the Lord bless the word and to him be the glory evermore. This concludes our service.